Hello, Dr. J. Hello. Hello. Should we do some intros first? Because I actually yeah. wrote one this time rather than trying to freestyle it. Okay. I don't want to do another intro to the podcast because I have no idea what the hell that is. I need a pithy one line about what the hell this is. You have a it's complicated. It's complicated. Very good. Look, this is about things that are, well, it's complicated. Yeah. That's it. Because everyone will get it because everyone knows you go to Facebook and it says everything. What are my relationships? It's complicated. What is my sexuality? Fuck yeah, it's complicated. <laughs> <laughs> what are the sorts of things you like to write about? Um, it's complicated. What is your nationality? Uh, that's complicated. <laughs> it's complicated. When, well, you, when you when you have to give a three line answer to a simple, so yeah. what are you? Yeah. All right. Well, then, dear listener, I think that was a perfect introduction to the podcast this week. It's complicated. Um, so, Dr. J, you were going to introduce yourself. Yes, because I wrote it this this time. So, I'm Dr. J. I grew up thinking I was an alien. Now I go to work and I get to write my own job title. Harbinger of Change at ThoughtWorks, and the New Zealand government let me write my own gender, transgressive non-binary gender queer. That is my official gender. I have a statutory declaration of that, and literally, I am the future, because so cool. the future people get to describe everything. I am what you get when you allow people to describe themselves. So I am literally a troublemaker and a hashtag queer nuisance. So you're the future. The I am liberals the future. Want. I am the future. The liberals want. Excellent. Okay, well, I'll try. Well, I'm the do... future the queers one because I get to self describe. Yeah, you are. I get to, I literally got to write a statutory declaration of my gender That's and so have cool. that officially recognized. Uh, but I should introduce myself first since I've managed not to do that so far. Uh, I, unlike Dr. J, have not done my homework. So I haven't written anything, which is, uh, of course, why this is going to go sideways. But uh, my name is Josephine Baird. I'm an independent scholar, an activist, and artist at the moment. I am trying out visual art, and I am trying to write a series of comics on subjects of sex, gender, and sexualities, which is basically what my uh, work in every field is about. So, and I've been doing that for about 20 years. Not the drawing comics bit, that's just the last year. Everything else has been about two decades or so. That was a good intro. There you go. Which provides a neat segue for our brand new fabulous idea, which isn't complicated at all, is it, Dr. J? Of course not. So we thought, rather than the complications of trying to set up a Patreon and things like that, we would do a coffee. So if you like this, if you think this is the sort of thing that you would go, yeah, I'd buy these people a coffee to sit down and chat with them, buy us a coffee. That would be brilliant. That'd be great. Because we're in lockdown and people are not getting paid. And we're clearly not caffeinated enough. So some of us over-caffeinated. Speak for yourself. <laughs> well, the truth is, dear listeners, we may eventually get a Patreon. If you like this enough, we may set this up a bit more officially. But in the meantime, we appreciate any, uh, uh, any caffeinated beverage you choose to purchase for us through this handy link. Josephine of the future here. The link that Josephine of the past is talking about is coffee.com slash it is complicated. So that's ko-fi.com slash it is complicated, all one word.
very, very inexpensively. And if you can't afford it, no problems whatsoever. Please do continue to listen. We love having you here. And for those who I'm, I'm fully employed, I'm gainfully employed. So all of the money goes to supporting Josephine. It does. It does. Okay. Scratch the last bit. <laughs> Everybody. <laughs> but it's, but it's only fair because that's, because that's part of the whole thing. Mm. What I was trying to say is it's very much like the stuff that I do with Queer House Party and things like that, where because I already earn money on the side, I'm not going to take money from the people who are working freelance that I'm working with because that doesn't feel fair. Well, that's, that's very kind of you and, and genuinely uh, appreciated at this time. Um, in the meantime, uh, whilst you decide what beverage you feel that we should be um, ingesting. Um, Mine's a soy milk cappuccino, by the way. <laughs> or an oat milk cappuccino or, or any non-lactose cappuccino. Although rice milk is disgusting. That's all that I'll say. So today's topic, my dear listeners... Uh, is well I'll, I'll let Dr. J introduce it because this was your well part of it is inclusion in games inclusion yes. of people of difference in games but yeah. we come at this from two slightly different angles perhaps so mm. because it's complicated so we're both gaming geeks yes but some of us are a little bit more focused perhaps than others <laughs> I've been playing Skyrim for a very long time since it came out. I have yet to actually play. I've yet to finish it. I've yet to complete the main quest. I've yet to complete. I've yet to get past about level 45 with a character. I've played it on PC. I've played it on PlayStation 3. I'm now playing it on PlayStation 4, which is gorgeous because I can apply mods and get it to look great and do the things that I want. But it is literally, for me, the only game. There, are, there is no other games within my universe because it lets me do the stuff that I want to do because I'm playing it with mods on that, that change some of the visual look and feel and some that also change some of the gameplay that change some of how some of the skill systems work, skill trees work. And that has led to an entirely different experience in the quests that I will take on and the things that I will do. And I've discovered entire new things, entire new quests that I've, that I've quietly ignored in the past and gone off and done and went, oh, wow, this was a whole new thing. Maybe I should have done this at some point. Can I ask you a question as to, to why you haven't finished it? And the, the way I'm going to ask this is interesting because I've done this myself. I don't know if anybody else does this. I just assumed it was weird. That if you're playing a game you really enjoy and then you, you have to stop before the end because you don't want it to finish. And, and there are games that I've done this now. Now, Dr. J is shaking shaking their head and i'm like oh okay it is just me then i just i've no, literally no. done this i've stopped games because i've enjoyed them so much i literally don't want them to end and that was one and the most recent thing that i did which was really really weird i always wanted to write an essay about this was there was a game i played which is a queer one which i'll want to talk about in a minute which was a visual novel and in that sense it has several endings that you can get you can proceed through the story any number of ways uh, but I enjoyed the ending so much I didn't want to play it again because it would feel like it somehow invalidated the ending I already got like the story had been told I didn't want to change the story some of the times has been that my computer I didn't have time mm -hmm. I didn't have the mental health to play it yeah. um, uh, playing it when I was playing it on the PlayStation 3 the load time got to me and that was part of I would play it, but 
I would just wander through the world picking flowers and occasionally killing things because that was that was because it's a sandbox so you can literally go and do everything the way that you want to getting myself a playstation 4 was a nice christmas gift to myself Mm. um yes i know i only just bought it in 2020 and everyone else is going the playstation 5 is due out and i was like yes and i know that there will be an upgraded skyrim from bethesda at some point on the playstation 5 but you know let me finish place let me finish skyrim at some point um and all the different times I would stop playing because I had either got myself into a point where I couldn't, I wasn't getting joy from continuing to play the character that I was playing. I'd overmaxed it. I'd created the character in such a way that it became non-functional. So I would go back and try again. Um, like one of the things you discover mm. is a sneaky archer in Skyrim Skyrim doesn't have a lot of defenses against that and a sneaky a sneaky a very sneaky person who stabs somebody in the back or who runs around with a bow and arrow can literally I was at the point where I could take out a dragon with three arrows before the dragon even really got a chance to to discover me and I was a bit like yeah this hasn't I've lost my fun for this um and then I would try to play it again and try to play it in a slightly different way but also I would become, the characters would become my amansuensis, my, my, they would reflect my persona of the time. And as my mental health changed, as life things changed, as I changed, I would shed them and start again. So now the one that I've got feels weirdly good, like me. They run around and they do things that feel congruent with how I feel and how I do things. The only thing so I've put on a pile of mods and that has also changed my relationship to the game because I know that I could go get a mod that, you know, ridiculously overpowers me and I could just go and defeat everything, but that would still not be fun. Well, I, I hope I wasn't flippant about the, the not finishing it, but I'm sorry about that. No, Cause no, because it's, it's, cause it's complicated and it's about your relationship to the character in the game. It's about your relationship with the game. And the reason I mentioned mods is it's about inclusion. So the one mod that I want someone to create for me is a non-binary mod so that my character can actually be Hmm. of neither outside of the gender binary. Now, I know that I can do a pile of things. I can really create a character. Um, I'm currently playing a dark elf that looks as androgynous as I can make it within the system. But the moment they pick up armor, they suddenly, even if they've taken the armor off a dead, very masculine character, the moment this character who I use the female body build to build it, the moment they pick up that armor and put it on, it develops huge breastplates and cups and wide, wide hips. And that thing, that kind of frustrates me because it's like, I want that gender fluidity and to be able to put it into the world. But I kind of, I kind of like that idea. You're touching on a number of things that I have been writing about recently, actually, for a project that I wish I could be doing right now uh, officially, but I'm probably going to be doing unofficially, which is on um, subjectivities in video games, and then specifically about sort of like inhabiting, embodying, 
existing in that virtual space because um, that's my experience too this idea of sort of like finding a fit in a virtual space a game space and yet it's it's not quite satisfying because it doesn't entirely provide the opportunity that you want it to except for on those very few occasions when it does and it's absolutely wonderful and truly transcendent for me um, the medium of video games can really provide an opportunity that no other media can. And I've had a few of those experiences which have moved me to the, to the core. And I guess one of the reasons I, 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 I joke with Dr. J sometimes, uh, but also I'm kind of serious about it, is I would love for them uh, to be able to experience some of those things as well. Although, of course, that's just me wanting to project onto them. And that's not really fair. But uh, I've had... Um, those kinds of embodied experiences where I felt a huge affinity to the character that I'm playing on a few occasions. And one of them isn't Skyrim, sadly, because I've never really gotten into it. I have, I have a PlayStation 4 version. I ended up with two copies. I can happily send you a copy once you get a PlayStation 4. Sure, I'll do that, yeah. Because I, 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 unlike you, I'm even later to that party. I was going to buy one too, but... Again, the job that I was hoping would pay for it just dematerialized in front of me. So I can't. So I'll have to, I'll have to wait, damn it, and get the PS5 after all. You know, 10 years after everyone else. Does, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. how I do it. And in and, and 10 years' time, Josephine and I are still going to be sitting here having a discussion about that yeah. Skyrim is not the only game. Well, the fascinating thing, the fascinating thing about video games, which Dr. J has alluded to, is that um, they do not have to remain the media that you bought in the store, which is so fascinating. So few, I mean, I can think of fan edits of movies. I can think of, you know, YouTube sort of like deep fakes of, you know, TV shows, but very rarely can we get in a piece of media that we can literally transform, not just in terms of like games where you interact and you go through the story in your way, but in, to change it to such a degree that you modify the game code itself in order to match closer what you want it to be or even to include yourself more. And it sounds to me like for you, Jay, that Skyrim provides that to a limit. And that at the moment you can do it to a certain point and it'll match who you are now for a while. And that's changed over time, but it can also change in the moment because it's not quite managed to match you yet. Is yeah. That right? Yeah, absolutely. And I was watching and I think I need to provide the links, but I can't remember the people's names. So I will send them and future Josephine will pop on and say these people's names. Hello there, Josephine from the future here. Jay is talking about Jessica Kilgren Fozard and Molly Foe Wilkins, otherwise known as English Simmer. They're both YouTubers and they did a recent video on why The Sims needs disabilities. We'll provide links in the description below. And now back to the podcast. There's been a very interesting two-parter on the, on which I sent to Josephine about uh, modifications in Sims to make it more disabled friendly um, or disability friendly in different ways. But yeah. also one of the people there talks about how using mods in Sims have been able to make it more queer friendly and mess around more with the gender and relationship characteristics of people. Um, and 
that discussion is really, really interesting because, again, it's taking, it's querying something up. It's taking the, the core code of something, the core idea of something, and applying a queerness to it that allows for more inclusivity, which is the way that we do everything. It's how we interact with the world. It's how we take so many ideas and spaces and queer them up just by our presence, but also we work hard to queer it up. You've queered up performance and academia and activism. You go in with a specific mindset and that queers it up. And going into these games with a specific mindset, you want to see yourself represented, but you will also put effort in so that other people can do the same thing. Yeah, and I think that's what's so interesting about video games is it provides a very unique opportunity to do that because again you know to compare it to other media uh what you were saying reminded me of the celluloid closet which is a book and a documentary about um lgbtq representation in film specifically of i think it was written in the early late 90s early 2000s i can't early 90s yeah early yeah sorry so it was looking at the the ways in which we were alluded to but not quite included in movies and how we as communities would often have to um, project ourselves onto the screen into certain characters who weren't overtly uh, coded necessarily as LGBTQ and so forth. But in a game sense, in a video game sense, the medium offers an opportunity to include yourself in a way that any other media wouldn't. And it creates an opportunity to explore a world in a way that you couldn't in any other way. It is, for me, absolutely fascinating as a cultural product, as a social space, as a cultural producer, even. that You can be in that space, change that space by your very presence. Because as you rightly say, just by existing within the game, you can queer that game. And imagine if it's a multiplayer game or a massive multiplayer game, being queer in those spaces, you can have an impact on very real people in a very virtual space that allows for that and then if we're talking about things like skyrim or or games that um, allow you to create an avatar then you can include yourself in another way if that code allows you to then the next step down of course is to modify the code itself to make you even more included and then i it occurred to me to think of um those games that provide you with a role to play. I was also going to say, I have played another game. You played another game? I played another game, but I played it on my phone. And it was totally absorbing, and you could change the narrative in different ways. And it was my my child, Lebdensborn. It's the Norwegian one about the half-German children, and you adopt this child, and they you have to try and balance work life and childcare with this child who is being bullied at school. And I found it triggering, empowering, emotional, the whole thing. And you're literally just looking at cartoons on a screen and being given three or four options with actions to do. And it's a very simply written game, but it was so powerful in trying different ways of coping as an adult coping with a child who's being bullied and realizing as a child who was being bullied what your parents had tried and what they didn't think of because it was outside their cultural context. 
it was outside their ability to think. And that was such a powerful game to play. But I didn't consider it a, a video game because it was on my phone. Hmm. <laughs> because it's because stuff on my phone is just stuff that I do when I'm commuting or in the bathroom or I'm watching something and I need to disengage for 15 minutes. That's why I think the medium itself is so interesting. Is it um, something I argued very recently, which is that unlike other media, games can be so different from each other as to almost not be the same medium. Like film is almost always going to be experienced one way. Generally a screen is in front of you. You've got sound playing, um, subtitles, maybe. <laughs> Could be laughing at me. I'm laughing because Josephine's seen me experience a film in an entirely different way, <laughs> which, oh. which involves eating an entire bucket of candy floss and getting absolutely. I I don't trick. I don't. I'm not somebody who takes a lot of pharmaceuticals recreationally, but I'm somebody who you can give a a bucket of candy floss to and watch them literally <laughs> bounce off the fucking ceiling and talk in different colours. Usually a movie is watched in the same dimension as everyone else is currently in, uh, unlike Dr. J, sometimes, um, with a screen and sound and subtitles and, and certain accoutrement that you can expect. And you will watch movie one like that and movie two very much the same way, the same thing with music, the same thing with books. Video games can be so utterly different from each other, come in completely different packaging, completely different in interactive control schemes that can be on different objects and in different ways they can exist in literally different auditory textual graphical ways um that they're almost not the same medium anymore um i didn't when i uh, i told uh, dr j that you can get skyrim on your uh, amazon alexa but in this particular case you can play it with your own voice and in that sense, these two games, even, if, even though you've got a game that's ostensibly exactly the same medium and exactly the same art in that medium, um, you can interact with it in multiple ways. And in that sense, I find games absolutely fascinating because I mean, you can literally approach the very same thing with a completely different input device, which hopefully means that it's more accessible for people who've got different ways of accessing media in general, but also can allow for the embodiment of these avatars, these digital creations in different ways for different people. Yeah, so in a way, games in themselves and of themselves are complicated. You know, define game. <laughs> if we want to get really, really annoying, we can do one of those intellectual exercises which are just painful. And one of them, uh, dear listeners, is define game. <laughs> because, Jesus, it's not fun to try and go down that little rabbit hole. I I wouldn't like to go down that rabbit hole, but I find it interesting because it's about establishing the context of it. Like I was at a talk at Mobile World Congress while well, I was on a panel at Mobile World Congress uh, at an associated event. I'm not that posh people. I don't get to go and talk on panels at Mobile World Congress yet. I get to talk at panels at associated events at Mobile World Congress, which won't be running for another three or four years anyway, because nobody can travel there. Um, but that's an entire aside. Um, and one of the we got onto the discussion of games and inclusion of LGBT identities within games, and somebody asked a question about console games, and one of the people who worked for a company that made only casual casual games for mobiles said, 
there's not that many people who play console games and it's basically mostly young men under under 25 living in their parents basement and unwashed and at which point I pointed out that I play a console game I didn't point out that I've been playing Skyrim for about seven years at that point and never really got that far (laughs) but it was about the fact that people have this idea when they talk about console gamers um when they talk about casual gamers when they talk about people who play video games they 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 have these ideas that are very fixed in bad stereotypes and bad tropes um i don't like playing first person shooters despite playing skyrim as a first person shooter but i don't like playing the first person shooter type games because um like call of duty and stuff like that friends have tried to get me on early versions of those i spent 20 minutes trying to put my trying to decide what color my uniform should be (laughs) the friends i were with were like and then got killed within three seconds of joining the game the friends i were with the friends i was playing with um which was at, at, at work at the place where i worked they were just like we're never letting you ever in near any of these games ever again. That was that was literally one of the funniest things that they'd ever seen. That somebody turned up wearing this beautifully coordinated gun hat, camouflage boots, ensemble, and yet couldn't manage to figure out how to point and shoot the gun. Well, I think I think the best thing about games is that there's no right way to play them. And I mean this quite genuinely, because this is another debate, you know, like, did you play the game right? Did you understand the game? Like you played the game how you wanted to play it. And therefore you played it correctly. You just didn't play it the way they were hoping you played it. Which and is like, part of that queering up. It's yeah. part of that taking those expectations, those normative yeah. ideas and querying them up. Like one of the one of the long running jokes amongst my friends is that yes I may have I may be playing Skyrim I can still get trapped in a room with two exits and not be able to find the second exit for 25 minutes because it requires me to circle the room and not fall over not trip over and figure and not turn myself around and walk in the right direction to get out of the room um that's literally is that that about queer inclusion or is that spatial awareness Oh, that's just spatial awareness, but it's that um it's that thing of you can be geeky you can be geeky, you can be devoted to something and still not very good at it. Oh god, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, people people think that because I love video games, because I love the media, I'm going to be able to do the things that make the media work. I can't play platform games to save my life. Because I grew up where Spaces and Defender cost 20 cents and i literally never had enough money to play more than about two games a week and i would go and spend my money on other things because those games didn't give me the huge thing even when i played them with my brother and we'd play side by side he would just he had all the coordination and would basically kick my ass and that was not good no, I can appreciate that. And I mean, first off is that, you know, a game being unaccessible like that to certain people's access needs, that's a real issue for a start. Although, again, in terms of access, there's some really interesting innovations that are coming up right now in terms of controllers that can be more accessible for those people who've got physical access needs, verbal interfaces as well, um, to allow for interactivity in different ways, which I think 
again, not only affects the medium itself, it affects our understanding of who is in those spaces. I've been doing some work with Queer House, House Party around accessibility, and two of the things we've played with is audio description, but also BSL sign language, which has made me more aware of the cues that you pick up via different senses within a game. So when you play Skyrim, a lot of the sound gives you cues as to what's what's going on. Um, and I'm like, how on earth does anyone with hearing impairment play Skyrim? Because while all the dialogue can be prompted, there's a whole pile of stuff that there's only, there only seems to be oral cues for or audio cues for. And there's part of me going, how, how would you adapt something like Skyrim? Would you, is there some kind of add-on that says screeching dragon in the background and just takes all the voices and all the, all the non-wordy stuff and turns it into subtitles? So when you're playing, you you can get those audio cues in some way. This is literally a curious moment. I'm a curious George. I think you're absolutely right that there is a big problem with um, audio cues in games not being accessible. And what's interesting is that because of the improvements in audio cue technologies, as well as in innovations in games in general, those audio cues are becoming more and more important to certain games. I was playing um, Overwatch, which is a first-person shooter. It's the only competitive first-person shooter I can play because everybody's so damn pretty. And um, that's why I play it. Um, But the game really only functions if you can detect those cues. However, there are certain visual cues as well in the game that are very, very um, useful in terms of like directional attack. So if something's coming at you from the right, there is a, a sort of like directional, there's a, like a red light that sort of appears on the screen towards the direction in which that attack is coming from. You know, there are certain things that will allow you to see very subtly on the screen in such a way that that can be translated, not even with a um, text necessarily, but just with a sort of visual cue. Um, rumble support for your sort of like controller will also give you a certain amount of of, uh, of haptic feedback, which I find really interesting as well. This idea that, you know, you can get a sense of what's happening by the vibration in the, in the controller, which is really useful for some games, for sure. But I've noticed while playing um, Animal Crossing with our, with our child that there is a fishing mechanic where you're supposed to sort of throw your line into the water and wait for a fish to sort of nibble at the the lure, nibble, nibble, and then bite. And then you have to pull the the fishing rod in. If you pull it in too early, you'll lose the fish. You pull it in too late, you'll lose the fish. That cue is very, very noticeable as a sound, not very noticeable in any other format. There is a visual cue, but it's quite small. There's a rumble cue, but also relatively small. And I must admit, I was finding it really difficult to navigate if you don't have the sound going on. So I think there's a long tradition of game developers not sadly not taking this into account. However, I do think there is some change that not only allows for the inclusion of uh, people with different access needs, but allows for the representation of that as well and the embodiment of it. So the article that you sent me about including Sims in the Sims that are that have visible dif- disabilities or have disabilities that form a gameplay function um, allows for somebody to embody, embody that character as well as see themselves represented. 
which another key difference between games and other media. And I know I'm going from topic to topic to topic because unfortunately this, this topic, dear listeners, is so complicated that you could write a whole thesis on it, which I desperately try to do. <laughs> and, and I get the sense that we'll be dropping back into this one yes. more than once because yeah, sure. there are many, many different things. But to claw it back to what we were originally talking about, which I think you brought up, which was the embodiment notion, that the difference here is between some, you know, if you were watching a movie and you see yourself somewhat represented, you can say, well, that's nice to see someone like me represented as a character on screen. That's important. To have your issues represented in media is important. But to be given an opportunity to embody yourself in a digital space, that's quite unique in another way. And I think that involves giving someone access to it, opportunity, the ability to do it, even if they can't access it in the same way, whether that be because of an access need or because they're just not very good at that kind of game. It's about being able to give the same opportunity to different people to represent themselves in a media. Yeah. Sorry, that went from one place to another. No, no, because it's complicated. complicated. I mean, it's really simple. Make your games more inclusive. I love the idea that it's about inclusion in terms of seeing yourself, inclusion in terms of gameplay, and inclusion in terms of embodiment within the game. Because some of the stuff within Skyrim that I've been talking about, it's just about how I visually look on screen. And given you're basically looking through your character's eyes 80 to 90% of the time, eh, it's not a big deal. It's, it's a deal, but it's not a ginormous deal. Whereas things that would impact on the gameplay and would allow you to embody that experience are really important. That would allow you to have that character that reflects your experiences of the world, that deals with the same challenges that you do, because that gives you the chance of trying shit out. And that's it. And so once again, Dr. J has, has bamboozled me with beginning a conversation with the clear statement that it was a complicated conversation that would lead to multifaceted discussion that would lead to perhaps no conclusion at all and then just turns it all around and makes it simple again for me (laughs) i learn again so games are in fact simple after all well they're simple if you think inclusively well there you have it dear listeners another complicated topic made simple (laughs) by myself josephine baird and dr j um do we have a topic for next week dr j We could always try to go back to the J.K. Rowling question. I'd rather not. (laughs) Thank you for today, Dr. J, and thank you, listeners. We'll um, be back next week with a subject that is unrelated to J.K. Rowling, who continues to make news that we will not be discussing on this podcast.